Well, happy uh, 4th of July. It's good to celebrate uh, our nation and our freedoms. Americans, we love our freedoms, don't we? It's, uh, we should. Um, I was born and raised in New Hampshire. This is a live free or die state, right, on the, right there on our license plates. Um, yeah, we should celebrate these things. It's, freedom is a very powerful notion. As people of faith, as Christians, freedom is a particularly powerful notion. Jesus said that everyone who sins is a slave to sin, that the, the human condition, the human heart uh, is, in sin is um, trapped, separated from the God who loves us, and it holds us, and it keeps us from God and his way. But because of the victory of Jesus, because of what he accomplished on that cross, we can be forgiven and freed and truly free and live uh, that, that freedom that he designed for us. So it's a, it's a beautiful notion. So it might seem strange then that we are considering, especially today, we're focusing on obedience to God's law, specifically the Ten Commandments. In fact, we're going to spend the whole summer thinking about obedience to God's law in these Ten Commandments. And uh, last week, you know, we talked about God's judgment and how that's an unpopular kind of a notion. Well, uh, thou shalt not in obeying rules, also very unpopular notion. Other than our just our love of freedom, which makes us not want to focus on rules or being held back in any way, uh, there are a number of us, many of you here in this room, who grew up in faith traditions that were very strict, very rules-based, very legalistic. Uh, very uh, guilt-based in some ways, Uh, in some cases even abusive. And you don't want to go back there. Say, I've I've lived that kind of strict religion, and I've now, by the grace of God, I've experienced his grace and, and the freedom that comes with that. And I say, well, praise God that you've found any healing from that type of a tradition. And, and yes, God's grace is amazing in spite of those past experiences. And then I can imagine some of you saying, Pastor, why do you keep preaching unpopular things? Aren't you worried that people will just stop coming to church? And, and, and are you just thankful that it's raining on this weekend so people didn't leave town? Or, um, and aren't you trying to get them back from COVID and back from isolation and, and not scare them away? And I would be lying to you if I said I didn't have those thoughts sometimes. Like, is this really what this is, but uh, if we understand God's commands correctly, then we realize that they are a gift. They are a grace. We can experience God's love through them, and truly they make us free through obedience. 1 John 5.3 puts it this way, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. God never gave us his way to be a burden on us, but to be a blessing to the world as we live it out the way that he intended. So that's what we're trying to do here, and we're trying to better understand that through this series this summer. We're calling the sermon series 10 Words to Live By. Uh, Stole that title from this book called 10 Words to Live By by Jen Wilkin. Um, This is a great resource, and I recommend it if you want to Sort of use that as a companion resource as we walk through this. I can get it at your favorite bookseller. 
Uh, but her, the subtitle of this is Delighting in and Doing What God Commands. And that's really what we're shooting for, so I give her credit for that title. Um, in talking about these ten words. So in, in Jewish tradition, God's law, the foundation of God's law is the ten words, or as we call them, the Ten Commandments. Uh, so today, first, I want to just kind of consider how do the Ten Commandments work? How do they work then, and how do they work now, in our day, under, as we follow Jesus, under his lordship? Secondly, I want to take a deeper dive into the first commandment, and then in subsequent weeks, we're going to dive into each of the subsequent commandments. And then lastly, how do we actually live this out? How do we um, embrace this command uh, in our everyday lives? So that's our goal today. That is our path. Let us pray as we walk it together. Good God, we gather freely in your name, and we worship you, and we thank you for all that we have, for all that you've blessed us with. And it's with hearts of um, that desi- it's with hearts that desire to know you and to know you more and to understand life as you've made it, Lord, that we come to you and ask your blessing. We ask you to be our teacher during this time. We commit ourselves to you. We commit our way to you. We commit our lives to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the Ten Commandments, how, how do they function then and, and how do they function now? Notice how it all starts in verse 2. It starts with a statement of God's deliverance. Verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The whole basis of God's law starts with freedom. It starts with the fact that God has delivered his people. He said, I have, that you were living in slavery in Egypt. I heard your cries. I've rescued you. You are mine. You are my treasured possession. Actually, in chapter 19, God, just before this, God had said, out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. All, although the, the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A, so the, the, the idea here is God saying, for a specific reason, I've made you free and I've made you mine. And you're going to be a kingdom of priests, you're going to be a holy nation, and you're going to display to the whole world who I am. These commands, therefore, are a description of a lifestyle of the redeemed. It's not how you get redeemed. You've already been redeemed. Now you're going to live like a redeemed person. You're going to live like a free person. And this is what it looks like. These are the commands which you'll live by, which demonstrate that. We see here that God's law and God's grace are very much connected. His law is based on this gracious act of, of saving. And the rules there are not just to make this mob of people into a, an organized nation, although that's what they were. I mean, they were, they, were leaving, they were living a certain way under the rule of Pharaoh, and now they're, they have no government. They have, no, they have you know, one leader who's led them out, but it's just kind of a mob of people. And, and that's a good thing to have laws. I mean, if... If I'm going to substitute for Chrissy in the children's ministry and I have two classes that need a substitute, one, the teacher has established and communicated and the students live by rules where they respect the teacher and they treat one another well. And there's another classroom that has no rules 
you got to know that I'm going to volunteer in the one that has respect for the teacher, respect for one another. But more than just making this mob of people into a nation that is respectful and uh, caring for one another, these commands are to make them more than nice, to make them agents of world change. That these, this way of life will be part of God's master plan of redeeming all of creation. And they get to live it out. This is a world broken by sin. And these laws are a reordering, a reorientation towards God's way, away from the way of sin and death. So this is God setting everything straight on a cosmic level and on a social level. And this is what it looks like. These ten things are the foundation of it. That is so amazing that people are called to be part of God's redemptive plan in the world. And even today, we are called as followers of Jesus to be walking and talking examples of what it looks like to to live life as God intended it. Uh, We we pray, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, um, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These ten commands allow us to live life on earth as it is in heaven. For example, this first command, you shall have no other gods before me. This is, in heaven, that is lived out perfectly, where allegiance to God is singular and it is pure, and we seek to live out on earth putting God first, singular allegiance to him. And in Jesus Christ, these same commands for us as Christians, they become even deeper and more meaningful. And, and, you know, in some ways, Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law. So Jesus was the, the great sacrifice. So the whole sacrificial system and all the ceremonial law, we don't follow those laws, including the purity laws and the dietary laws. Jesus fulfilled all those things. But at the same time, Jesus said, I've come to fulfill that law, not to abolish it. I have not come to abolish that law. So God's moral law, the foundation of his law, still exists for us. And we need to understand it and and live it. But it has a deeper meaning now because, you know, it was once written on stone. And now, as scripture says, it's written on your heart. That this becomes a source of joy. Um, Again, the law, not to discourage you, but to delight you. Not a burden. All these, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. People say, oh, that's so negative. But it's important because it's, you shall not is a self-limiting thing. It's a self-control, self-discipline that aligns us to God's way. And then we take that in the same way God said, you're my special nation. You're my special people. You're going to display my goodness to the world. Jesus says, now let your light shine before all people that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It is going to point the world that's broken in sin to the loving Heavenly Father. So the question for us all summer is going to be, well, what does this look like in my daily context? When I leave this church and I go about what I need to do this week, how would I live that out? How would I shine that? Where in my life, on the front lines of my life, do I see the Ten Commandments lived out in my place of work, in my home? Probably just as important a question is, where do I see them not lived out? Where do I see discord or a disconnect between God's law and between the way my company operates or the way my family operates or the way that I'm living 
towards my neighbor, towards my family? Where is there dissonance there? And those are the right questions. But that's the way this, thing's, this works. It's based in God's redeeming grace, and it's a way of life that displays him. So now let's take a look at this first command. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first command. It's the ultimate command. All of Scripture begins with, in the beginning, God. And his law begins with, I am the Lord your God. This is what I have done for you. You shall have no other gods. And in fact, it's probably the only commandment we need. If we keep the first commandment, all the rest of them flow from that. If God has his proper place, it's going to flow to other commands about honoring God and then the commands about respecting other people and respecting your neighbor. It's going to go hand in hand. And that first command, having no other gods, makes sure that all those other ones aren't just rule-following and, and just that legalistic thing because it's flowing from my connection to my one true God who I worship alone. Jesus summarized this well. He was asked what the greatest command was. He said, it's this one. He said, the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He said, the second greatest command is like it, or it flows from it. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. My my love of God flowing into my love of neighbor. That is summary of the Ten Commandments right there. Now, we are to worship God here, the first command, entirely or alone, no other gods. Now, back in the day when this was given, there, there was the understanding of many gods. They, these people were coming out of um, Egyptian culture, which had a polytheistic culture, and then they were moving into a land in Canaan, which was also very much polytheistic and many gods. And why would you worship some other god along with you know, your, the god of Israel, the, your one god, why would you add other things to it? Well, there was two reasons. The, the, the main reason was because you want something that you don't have. You want prosperity or you want uh, fertility or you want some sort of um, health or protection or success. And if you don't feel like you're getting it, then maybe there's another god who can give it to you. So you make a sacrifice. You, you try to get the thing you want, apart from the one true God. The other thing that would happen is you associate yourself with somebody who does not worship your one true God. And that draw, your draw to that individual could draw you to that God. For example, at the time of King Solomon, he had all these foreign wives, which was problematic in itself, but they, these foreign wives had their foreign gods. And once they came into his household, there was all kinds of different worship happening, and that led in a bad way. So that's, bad. that's just bad on a lot of levels. But the point is, either you want something or you want someone that draws you away from God. Today, we struggle with the same thing. We just don't, we're so monotheistic, most of us in our worldview, that we don't use the God language. You're not um, sacrificing to a God, but you're trying to get that love and acceptance from another person that could draw you from God's way, away from your God to a person just to be accepted, or the acceptance of family or coworkers, and it causes you to compromise. 
it, maybe it's, it's the love of, of money. Money represents a lot of things. It's security or peace or prosperity. It, you know, we, we pursue that above our one true God. We don't call it something else, but we don't call it another God, but that's what it is. Maybe it's success, just being, just, you know, nailing it in this life and being successful. That becomes a God. Whether you call it that or not, these same reasons you would worship another god back then are, are these other gods that we can worship today. And Jesus condemns all dual allegiance. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You must worship your God alone. So how do we live this out? How do we follow this command, you shall have no other gods before me? Two things, reveal and replace. Reveal. Pastor and author Tim Keller, he wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods. It was about, the whole book is about this very concept. And he said, there's things you can do to help reveal to you if there are other gods in your life. And he gives these four tests that I'll I'll share with you. The first is the daydream test. So when you're just sitting and you're just kind of not thinking about much, what do you daydream about? What are those things that just easily come to your mind that are kind of those good and pleasant thoughts about your life or your future? What's getting your attention without you even trying? Or in the middle of a long sermon, you're just kind of thinking about a pleasant thought. You're smiling at me, but you're not really there. Not this group, but the 1045. They struggle with that. Um, But, you know, what are those things? And actually, he said that's actually an indicator that those things could even if they're good things, could be those gods that are in your life. Secondly is the money test. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We tend, when there are other gods in our lives, we tend to overspend on them. Clothing, children, status symbols. So that can be a, an indicator. The daydream test, the money test. Thirdly, the unanswered prayer test. When you have something that you're working towards, something that you're praying for, and you don't get it, it it's elusive, you, you fail at it, it's not there, and you respond with anger or despair, that thing that you wanted that you didn't get could be a God in your life. If you tend to be just so shocked and overwhelmed by the troubles of life, Whatever that trouble is, where it's rooting from, might be something that's taking the place of where our God wants to be in your life. The last test that he gives is the, what I'll call the big feelings test. The big emotions of life. Your most painful emotions. Anything that would drive you to do something that is wrong. Uh, anger. You know, something that's so important to you that you must have it at all costs. If you, if you tend to overwork or hyper-focus on something, that, you know, you have to have it. That's an indicator. If, or if you have strong fear, strong despair, strong guilt about something, that's definitely something that could be revealing a false God in your life. So God can reveal those things to us. And then we need to replace them. So you can't just identify it and say, oh, that's not good. I need to move that out. If you do that, it'll just grow back. Or something else will grow back. So you need to remove it and then plant God in that place. 
in his proper place and nurture that. We nurture that by seeing the beauty of God and seeing the beauty of what Jesus has done for us through worship, through our through his word and through meditation on scripture and through small group life as we live it out in community together and point one another to this good path. And it can really shape the way we pray. So we can be people who get up and we pray, Lord, show me where my devotion is not pure to you. Show me the things, these false gods, these idols in my life that I'm chasing. Reveal them to me, Lord. I may not even know that I have them. And that's how we'll live this out day in and day out. So there you have it. We're going to continue this journey through these Ten Commandments. Not the Ten Suggestions, the Ten Commandments, but they're a gift from God. And this first gift, this first commandment, is to have no other gods before me, putting God first and only in our lives. And that's a, that gives glory to God. It's a blessing to our lives, but we also live that as a blessing to the world, pointing the world to a God that needs him so much. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you love us enough to show us your way, to invite us into your redemptive work in this world. I am blown away, Lord, that you would consider any of us worthy to be part of this, and yet you've, you've redeemed us from sin, you've redeemed us from our past life to be part of what you're doing. So we thank you. Pray that you continue to refine us as a people. That obedience would be seen as something that is a joy and a delight, not a burden, um, not not something that will drag us down, but something that will genuinely uh, lift us up and bless our world. May it be. In Jesus' name, amen.